Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. Hey Amarillo is sponsored this week by Dr. Eddie Sauer, who practices general dentistry at Shimon Dental Group. Eddie has my 16-year-old son on Invisalign to correct some teeth positioning. Owen loves it. Well, I guess he tolerates it because he's had metal brackets before. He's had braces before, traditional style, and this is way better, especially when he's playing basketball. Dr. Sauer is an expert on Invisalign, and he teaches these techniques all over the United States. To learn more, visit shemendental.com. That's S-H-E-M-E-N. Today's guest is Emmy Hilbish, who, like Dejanay Johnson a couple of weeks ago, is one of the youngest people I've interviewed for this show. Emmy is an elite wheelchair athlete who grew up in Amarillo, went to River Road High School, and only discovered her athletic prowess late in her high school career thanks to the efforts of One Chair at a Time, which is a local advocacy organization focused on adaptive sports, sports like racing hand cycles and sports wheelchairs. If you're not up to speed on what those things actually are, that's what Emmy and I talk about. Anyway, she left Amarillo for college. She went on to win a national championship as a member of the UT Arlington Movin' Mavs, that school's wheelchair basketball team. Uh, we cover all that stuff and a whole lot more. I think you're really going to be impressed by her. So here's Emmy Hilbish. Emmy Hilbish, welcome to the Hey Amarillo podcast. Thanks for being here. Thank you. So I've, uh, I know that there are a number of things that we can talk about, and mm-hmm. we'll get there in a second, but what I'd like to do at the start is just figure out how you ended up here in the Amarillo area. So okay. tell me about your upbringing and stuff. Um, well, I was born and raised here. Uh, I lived in Amarillo my whole life. I grew up going to River Road. All my years went to their elementary school all the way till I graduated. Um, and then I went to college at UT Arlington. And then I came back here just to do an internship because I had connections to do an internship that I didn't have back in Arlington. Okay. So now I'm just here kind of taking a gap year while I finish up my grad school applications. Okay. Did you did you always plan to go somewhere else for college? Yes. Okay. Like um, outside of this area, yes. I guess? I had always kind of planned on that. Um, I wanted to go, there's a school called Colorado College in Colorado Springs, that was my dream school, and it was really hard to get into, and I got into it, but then I got a full-ride academic scholarship to UT Arlington, which I really couldn't say no to that, and that was to play wheelchair basketball. Okay. So that's why I ended up going to UT Arlington. I know that wheelchair basketball is something that uh, a number of different universities have. I, I don't know about the number of like scholarships for that. Is it um, similar to other sports, or is it pretty narrow? It's, it's very narrow. So mine was academic so I only had access to it because I played wheelchair basketball, but it was an academic scholarship. So a lot of schools would have stuff like that. Now, UT Arlington also has just athletic wheelchair mm-hmm. basketball scholarships, probably like two on the women's side and maybe okay. two or three so on the men's side. it's pretty limited. Yeah, then. it's very limited. Once you went away <clears throat> for college, did you always think eventually you would return back to Amarillo, or did you think, well, I'm going to go away and I'm gone? Um. Know? I kind of figured I would at some point. I didn't really have a set plan until I was about a junior in college of what I wanted to do. And just as I was figuring all that out, what I needed to get done to go to grad school, I was like, 
well, I'm going to have to go back there because I have to do an internship. But I kind of, I always wanted to come back just to do work with one chair at a time, but I didn't really know when that would happen. Okay. What did you study in school? Um, kinesiology. Okay. And is your plan to get into like the therapy world? Or? Um, I want to do prosthetics and orthotics. Okay. Mm-hmm. So uh, we've skipped, you know, right over a lot of different things that we could <laughs> yes. talk about. But as listeners will have heard, you mentioned playing wheelchair basketball. Mm-hmm. So let's let's start there. Why are you in a wheelchair? Um, I have spina bifida, which is, uh, if people don't know, that's just a birth defect that affects my spinal cord. So when I was born, my spinal cord was exposed and had to be operated on to make it not be out anymore. And that just leads to a lot of uh, nerve damage in my legs and lower body and stuff like that. Okay. So you were never able to walk. I could walk not well until I was about 10. Okay. And then I started using a wheelchair. I had another surgery uh, called a tethered cord surgery that it helps you in a lot of ways, but then it has the potential to put you back in a lot of ways. So I stopped walking after that and have been using a wheelchair since then. Do you remember, I guess, the the thought process as a 10-year-old going from not walking, or not walking well, I guess in your <clears throat> mm-hmm. words, to full-time in a wheelchair? I mean, was um, that- you know, actually, and this is kind of might seem backwards, but I liked it. I liked being in a wheelchair because... I could get around all of a sudden, you know, when I had to walk everywhere, I was tired, exhausted all the time. And I just couldn't play with friends. I couldn't go do whatever I wanted because I always had to take breaks and rest every few minutes or so when I was walking. So when I got to start using a wheelchair, I could go wherever, do whatever. And that was good. You feel like you had more freedom than Mm -hmm. being in the chair. Definitely. Definitely more freedom. Tell me about the learning process of being in a chair full time and just learning to do the things that uh, you know most of us take for granted, mm-hmm. whether it's walking in a door or driving a car or any of that stuff. Did you feel like like there was a long period of time before you got comfortable? I was pretty young, so I feel like I kind of was just like, oh, this is the new thing. We're just going to figure it out and we're going to do it. So kind of, it took a while, but you also have to remember that I'm in it full time. You know, that's the only way I'm getting around. So you just kind of are forced to learn how to do different things. And I mean, you start kind of seeing, like, for example, my wheelchair can't fit through every space. You know, if it's a narrow door, you kind of start being able to tell just by looking at something. Oh, I'm not going to be able to fit through that. Or, yeah, that's wide enough. Just like very little, tiny, different measurements you you make in your brain that you like wouldn't realize you're making until you're making it. It's, it's constant analysis. Mm-hmm, of, definitely. Can I get there? Can I go there? Exactly. What was it like in school? Um, because I know 10 years old, I guess that's still elementary school. Mm-hmm. You get to middle school and that's hard for everybody. Mm-hmm. But you, you know, specifically were in a different position from a lot of your peers. Mm-hmm. Was it something that, that they found easy to accept because you'd known them your whole life or mm-hmm. was it... Was it difficult? I would say it's pretty half and half on that. I definitely had lots of friends and I had very good close friends, but people that didn't know me as well probably weren't quite as accepting. And that's not to say that I was necessarily bullied or anything like that, but I always had a sense of, oh, like you think less of me or you look down on me for certain people. Tell me about athletics and how that began to develop is that i mean do you feel like like sort of naturally you have a a talent for athletics um i 
think I do, kind of. <laughs> or maybe a mindset, that, yeah, that competitiveness. Yeah. I, I think I, I like working out. I like exercising. You know, I think it's really fun. I didn't really do sports my whole life, obviously, until I was in high school and was able to get involved, but I rode horses my whole life. Okay. And I did that competitively. And that's like the thing that I had, you know, that was my thing. I get to go ride horses and I was just as good at it as everybody else that was on the horse. So it was kind of a leveled playing field. And from there, I, I had like a base because I mean, riding a horse is a very good workout. So it, it helped me go on to do regular sports because I had the strength and I had like, I know how to work out. I know like you have to do hard work to succeed. So I think that was a good base. Sports were hard <laughs> in high school. Mm -hmm. Beyond the horses that I got to ride, it was hard to have other people let me engage in sports okay. in school. Because at the time, I mean, you were still the one person mm -hmm. in a wheelchair exactly. with able-bodied people, mm -hmm. or I don't know what the proper word is for that. but Yeah, able-bodied people. Able-bodied mm -hmm. people, okay. Mm -hmm. I want to make sure I use the right language. Yeah, no, that's um, right. <laughs> but the opportunity to play wheelchair basketball, mm -hmm. you know, where everybody on the court is playing from, you know, an, an even playing field in that way. Mm -hmm. When did that happen? Um, that didn't happen for me until I was a senior in high school. Okay. Um, I didn't get involved with one chair at a time until I was a junior. And at that time, there was nothing that I was aware of wheelchair basketball wise in the area. Um, when I was a senior, I got asked to play for Albuquerque team. Okay. And that was the closest one to me. So that's you know, a four hour drive. Right. So that was my introduction into the sport. Um, and we traveled across the country to play, you know, we played in Oklahoma, we went to Kentucky, we went to a lot of places. And then, um, one of our tournaments, our first tournament actually was in Dallas at UT Arlington because UT Arlington's a big hub for adaptive sports. Okay. And I got from there, I got asked to play for UT Arlington's team. Does the adaptive sports world have similar club teams and tournaments and traveling teams and stuff like, you know, the uh, the traditional sports world? I, I know maybe mm -hmm. in a not to the same degree, yeah. but it, it still has the kind of thing where you can. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think what I've noticed is the biggest difference is that if you're doing adaptive sports, you're going to tournaments. You're not going to games. Okay. Because... I mean, you're traveling across the country. Because there might be one team in yes. Albuquerque and one team in mm -hmm. Dallas or something. So you're going somewhere and playing five or six games and then going home. Right. You're, you're not traveling every weekend. You're traveling like maybe once or twice a month. Okay. Tell me about you know the process of learning to do that, where you're not only performing the skills related to basketball, you know, which mm -hmm. require you to do a whole set of upper body movements. Mm -hmm. Plus you've got, you know, the wheelchair aspect of it and learning to manipulate, not just rolling down a hallway at school, but mm -hmm. like actually at a higher speed or turning and stuff like that. I mean, what does that practice look like when you're trying to figure out those skills? First of all, it's a different wheelchair. You don't use your daily wheelchair okay. when you play wheelchair basketball. So you kind of have to get used to that. Um, the difference is, is that instead of the wheels going like straight down like these, they kind of, they go out at a camber. Okay. So that helps you turn. So you kind of have to learn how to operate that wheelchair, but it's not incredibly different. And for people that use a wheelchair 
every day, it's a pretty quick transition. You already have the skill. Yes. You're just adjusting. You're just adding dribbling and shooting and pushing with the ball and things like that. It's, it's a lot easier for people that use a wheelchair every day to go and do wheelchair basketball than it is for say amputees or even able-bodied people, able-bodied people play wheelchair basketball too. It's a lot harder for them to go and learn. I can imagine. Mm -hmm. You've mentioned it uh, just sort of casually one chair at a time. Tell Mm -hmm. me about that organization and the benefit that you personally have gotten from it. So one chair at a time is an organization um, here in the Amarillo area. Uh, They provide sports wheelchairs and coaching for kids with disabilities. Uh, We go as we've gone as far as, I think like south of Lubbock, you know, we go up into Oklahoma, just underserved kids that don't have any other programs around them. We do track, we do basketball, we do archery. I think we do like air rifle. We're starting to do air rifle. You know, Mm. we're trying to get as many sports as possible as we can. For me, I got involved, like I said, my junior year of high school. They did a celebrity wheelchair basketball game and it was crazy. You know, I'd always wanted to do wheelchair basketball, but I had never, ever had the opportunity. We almost moved to Dallas just so that I could be more involved in sports when I was younger, but Mm. it just, it never happened. And seeing wheelchair basketball and seeing that it was like a legit thing for me was just life changing. I mean, like to see that people could go out and play the sport and it's just as competitive and intense as any other sport was like incredible to me. The founder of One Chair at a Time is Joe Chris Rodriguez, Mm -hmm. who was able-bodied until he was shot and injured Mm -hmm. as a soldier. So he's now, you know, he's now in a wheelchair. And so he's been one of those that lived an entire life, you know, able to walk and then had to just totally revisit himself. Mm -hmm. And so this organization, he provides these wheelchairs for athletes Give me an idea of why it's so necessary, you know, to have an organization that meets this need. Um, I think the most obvious uh, reason for that is these wheelchairs are very expensive. The low end ones cost $3,000. Okay. This is not something that most families can just go buy. Compared to like a a regular getting around kind of wheelchair, what Uh, does that cost? A regular, I mean, a regular getting around wheelchair is still going to be expensive, but insurance typically will pay for it. Okay. Insurance will not pay for any type of sports wheelchair. Because you don't need it. You don't it. need it. It's, it's not, not a medical need. Okay. So that is the most obvious uh, reason that this is a need in the area. But if you think about the social aspects and the emotional aspects of the children that are disabled that don't have anything like this, all of a sudden they have this thing that they're better at than their friends. Okay. You know, they can show off their skills. They can be active. They can, I mean, for me, I was able to go to college for free basically because of it. And it's just, like I said, it's so life changing for people with disabilities to see people like them living a normal life, playing wheelchair basketball or whatever sport it is and having fun, having their other friends that are disabled. You know, when I was in college, we lived on campus, most of us. And we all lived in an apartment complex all together. And like, we just lived, we lived independently. You know, a lot of people were kind of surprised by that because, you know, we don't have carers. We don't have anybody. Right. And I think people may still be surprised about that mm-hmm. because people still have uh, the same preconceptions, I guess, mm-hmm. of, of what it means that you're in a wheelchair. But like, yeah. 
you drove to my house to do this interview. Mm-hmm. You let yourself out of the car, um, you know, rolled right up over the curb and stuff to get mm-hmm. into the house. So, you know, you didn't, you didn't need my assistance yes. for sure. Yeah. I mean, I live completely alone. I don't have a roommate. My parents don't live with me or family or anything. I live a hundred percent alone. And I think that's something that, you know, I don't go around telling people, Oh, I just live alone. I don't need any help, but it's kind of a big thing because a lot of people, you know, they see a wheelchair and they think that, Oh, like I need help living, you know, doing anything when I'm just, you know, I'm a regular person. I just go to work. I come home from work. I do stuff at home. I go hang out with friends, you know, I don't think about it. And that's, that's a big thing. And that's kind of what I'm getting at with sports is that people learn how to be independent with sports. Okay. You know, a lot of times they just have their parents that, you know, especially if they've been disabled their whole life, their parents maybe tend to baby them because they also, their parents have preconceived conceptions of what it means to be in a wheelchair. Right. And parents are going to baby you exactly. anyway. Exactly. So. so sports can just help you realize like, oh, I can do this. I can do that. I'm strong. I can push the basketball or I can push the wheelchair with the basketball. I can make a goal. You know, I can do all these things I didn't know I could do. And then that just starts to translate into your daily life. Like, oh, I can get myself dressed. I can brush my teeth. I can cook my food. I can learn how to drive a car. I can go to college by myself. You know, I think sports are important for all people, you know, just to stay active and to have a hobby. But I think sports are very, very important for people with disabilities, even more so because A, it gets you in a community where you're seeing other people like you. And for me, I didn't have that here. I went to like a summer camp and that was the only exposure I got to other people with disabilities. When I got to start playing wheelchair basketball, it was like, whoa, everybody's like me and they're perfectly fine doing their own thing. So that's a big thing and becoming independent. And like I said, just being active. Okay. You you mentioned your job and, and working at Amarillo Artificial Lemon Brace. Tell mm-hmm. me about that internship and what you did. That was a really awesome internship. I learned a ton of stuff. So I want to do prosthetics and orthotics, like I said, which is making either fake limbs or like braces, AFOs, orthotics and shoes, stuff like that. Amarillo Artificial Lemon Braces where I went when I was growing up here okay. to get my braces And so to be able to go back and learn how they made my braces and, you know, really learn what type of people they are and be involved with that was awesome. I did that because it's a requirement to get into grad school. You have to do 150 or so hours of an internship at a prosthetics and orthotics place to get into grad school. But it was it was amazing. I ended up doing like 230 hours. Is that the one prosthetics place in in Amarillo? Uh, in there's this area, or there's is there more? two or three. I actually think one just relocated to Lubbock. Okay, but there's one other. Okay, and I know you know that's one of those businesses that if you don't need it, you don't know what it is. Yes, you know exactly. Um, so tell me what kinds of things you know are being produced or being created or being provided for people. Okay. So at Emerald artificial limb embrace, they make, I would say 95% of everything that they give to patients. So a lot of places you'll take measurements and then you'll get it sent back in from a central fabrication facility, but Emerald artificial limb embrace, they make everything, pretty much everything. 
Um, so that would be, you know, basic stuff, prosthetic legs for people that have had an amputation, even prosthetic arms. As far as the orthosis side, braces, leg braces, AFOs, which are ankle foot, foot orthotics, just plastic braces that go on your leg and foot okay. that give you give people support. Knee, ankle, foot orthotics that go up past your knee, just things like that that help people either get around better, you know, provide more support so that they can walk without expending as much energy or things that people would use in physical therapy okay. to keep their muscles strong. So tell me what you're looking at in terms of what you do in the future. You're wanting to do that mm-hmm. same kind of thing. Are you, are you wanting to do it like from the fabrication side, the creation side, or um, just to, to provide it for people? I So a prosthetic, a prosthetist or an orthotist, they're not a doctor, but I would say they're the, quote, doctor of the profession. So there's prosthetists and orthotists, and then there's technicians. Okay. The prosthetists and orthotists go in with the patient, you know, talk to them, see what the issue is. If they need to, they take a mold of the feet. Uh, they take measurements if it's like a back brace or something. And then the technicians do the bulk of the making. Okay. You know, the prosthetist still does some of it, like modifying it, making sure it's right for the patient. But the technician does a lot of the actually putting it together. Right. And I want to do the prosthetist or orthotist side of that. And so that requires an advanced degree. Yes. A little bit of medical training, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it requires a master's degree. Okay. And then you have to take various tests at the end along with doing uh, residencies, two-year residencies. Okay. Where will you pursue that master's degree? I'm hoping to get into either UT Southwestern in Dallas or Baylor College of Medicine in Houston. Uh, those are the only two schools in Texas. There's only about, I would say, 10 schools total. Wow. So the other ones I'm applying to are California State, Dominguez Hills, University of Washington in Seattle, um, Northwestern University in Chicago, and Alabama State in Montgomery. Okay. Yeah. It's so there's very a limited widespread. number of places yes, that you could do it. Definitely. It's very competitive. But two of them being in Texas, I mm-hmm. guess, is yeah, it's beneficial very nice. for you. Definitely nice. Hopefully you get in there. Well, I'd like to talk a little bit uh, just about Amarillo itself. Okay. Uh, did you ever think, you know, growing up here, coming of age, did you ever think Amarillo is a place that I want to stay, live the rest of my life? Mm-hmm. Or once you started looking at wheelchair basketball or this potential career, are you just wide open from here? Um, I always kind of wanted to move away from Amarillo. I always had family in New Mexico and Colorado that, you know, when we, whenever we would go there, I would be like, I want to live here so bad and just things like that. You know, I, I don't want to live in the same place for the rest of my life, right. you know? So I definitely feel like once I get my degree, I'm going to be able to branch out and go wherever I want. I, I imagine there are some communities, you know, like if Amarillo already has a couple of businesses that provide prosthetics, there are mm-hmm. some communities that don't have that, mm-hmm. and it might be an open market for yes, you to do Yes, definitely. That. I mean, a lot of people travel from, you know, Clovis, New Mexico, Oklahoma Panhandle to here to get their prosthetics or orthotics. So there's definitely, it's it's a growing career. It's It's on the rise. Okay. So I'm interested in the perspective of a someone who is recently a college student, you know, who lived in Amarillo her whole life and mm-hmm. then moved away to uh, to go to college. Was there was there something in that process that made you look at home, look at Amarillo in a different way? I mean, what, what were some of the things that you missed after you, you left here? 
I was excited to come back to Amarillo from going to college. I just missed kind of the chiller vibe. You know, you can drive across town in 20 minutes. The traffic doesn't get too bad, you know, stuff like that. People, I think people are kind of nicer here, you know, not in any big way, but just little small interactions that you have with people. People are just more relaxed here. But it was also still quite like a culture shock to come back here because I had gone from living in the middle of DFW in Arlington for four years. And then I come back here and it's like, oh, there's like not that much going on here. But it's still, I like it. Um, I'm excited to move on again. Like I said, I just don't like staying in one place for a long time. But it's it has its perks, definitely. Okay. So I'd like to go uh, back to one chair at a time because I, I know that that Joe Chris, you know, holds you up as, as one of his real success stories, mm-hmm. um, which you are, and you do a lot of volunteering for the organization. Mm-hmm. So uh, you were just telling me off mic that that recently you were in Spearman mm-hmm. uh, to, to work with some athletes there. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that. Yeah. So uh, we have two athletes in Spearman that are part of our organization. So what we did there, we just brought like 10 wheelchairs, uh, basketball wheelchairs, so that those athletes and their friends could play wheelchair basketball. Okay. Um, that's a really good way for able-bodied kids and, you know, the school to kind of see like, oh, this is a legit thing. This is like a real sport. You know, all the kids were like, wow, this is such a workout. I'm so tired. You know, it's hot in here. And it's just like I was telling them last night, like, there's no better way for us to show you what we're about than for you to participate and for you to see that your peers that are disabled are like just the same as you, you know, like this is a legit thing. This is, this is a cool thing that you should support. And you're in a position to speak, not only to encourage um, the athletes in wheelchairs, but like also their peers Mm -hmm. and and to give them an example of, you know, of what you've done with your life. Yeah, definitely. So that they can see that, you know, well, even if one of them becomes disabled, you know, one of their peers that it's not over, you know, your life still has, you have plenty left to do in your life. You're going to, everything's going to be okay. And to just, it, I think it makes them more accepting of people that aren't exactly the same as them. What are some of the other sports that have been adapted for wheelchair use? I would say almost every sport in some way, even if it's small. So the big ones, wheelchair basketball, sled hockey, um, sit skiing, there's wheelchair fencing, uh, table tennis, obviously swimming, you know, anybody can swim, track and field, uh, marathons, like road racing on a bike, really like Almost every sport that can be adapted has been adapted. Wheelchair rugby is a big one, too. And most of them take a different type of wheelchair yes. or sled or Pretty whatever. Pretty much so all of them take a different piece of... So if you want to do track, you're not going to use a, a basketball no, wheelchair for they're track. they're very different. So everybody, which is why, again, this organization mm-hmm. is necessary because that's another $3,000 yes, wheelchair. Or, exactly. Which of these sports have you tried? Wheelchair basketball. I've done track. I've done skiing. Oh, I do biking. I do biking now. Okay. And I want to get into mountain biking. Tell me how the biking works. Um, You're on like a recumbent type bike. You're laying on your back. Generally, not everybody, but generally. uh, And you have these pedals that are here and you just, and it's like a, it's like a bike. It has gears, you know, it has two different sprockets. But you're using your hands. Yes. You're using your arms. Pedal the bike or your arms. 
Um, so I imagine that's a very severe upper body workout. It is intense, you know, because even if you're very fit, you just don't have the same large muscles in your arms as people do in your legs. Right. So yeah, going up a hill, it's very slow. You know, you can't just rock it up a hill. You're in a very easy gear and you're just slowly making your way up the hill. You know, it's, it can get very intense. <laughs> right. But if you, you can't stop pedaling. No, then you, you might, can't stop pedaling. You might go backwards. You can go backwards. Yeah. You can start going backwards, which is not, it's not fun. It's like, I just need like two seconds of rest, but then you're just like getting farther and farther from the top. I, I want to ask you this and I don't know if it'll be a hard question or not. So you've, you've got big plans for the future. You've been very successful as uh, an athlete. Um, how much of a role do you feel like Amarillo in this area and its unique character has played in, in who you are and in, in who you see yourself becoming? I think, and not necessarily in a bad way, but I think that being in Amarillo and being kind of closed off from a lot of opportunity as far as sports go has kind of made me face adversity. And it's, I've gone from a place of thinking, oh, well, there's nothing for me. Like, I can't do anything. I'm not going to be able to do sports to realizing, like, I can do anything I want. I have everything. So I kind of have that mindset of if there's something I want to do, I'm going to figure out a way to do it. Just because I've been shown that the things that I thought I couldn't do, I could totally do just fine. I just didn't have the resources to do them. So I think that having a lack of opportunities as far as adaptive sports goes has kind of made me see the truth and that I really can do whatever I want to do. This episode of Hey Amarillo Podcast is sponsored by SKP Creative, a full-service agency using traditional and digital marketing strategies. One of its specialties is social media. If you're running a business, this quickly changing world can be more than a little tricky to figure out on your own. And that's why you need to talk to the team at SKP Creative. They develop data-driven communication strategies to share your story and connect with your audience. Visit skpcreative.com today to learn more and schedule a free social media evaluation for your business. SKP Creative, make it happen. And while we're at it, this week's sponsors, Dr. Eddie Sauer and SKP Creative, come courtesy of my Patreon page, patreon.com slash And that's where businesses or individual listeners like you can support the show on a monthly basis. Here are a couple of things I want you to know about Hey Amarillo. Number one, this podcast is free. I always want it to be free. That's what's cool about podcasts. Number two, I'm self-employed and I work for most of my clients on an hourly rate. So producing this podcast every week takes up several hours of my time, which is why I get sponsors for the show. It, it pays the bills. It makes this more than a weekly volunteer project. So Patreon lets you choose a support tier that helps me keep making Hey Amarillo week after week. So if you appreciate this free product, if you think it's valuable to you, if you like the entertainment while you're working out, whatever, then you can support the show too for a small automated credit card payment every month. To learn more, go to patreon.com slash heyamarello. That's Patreon with an E. Okay, I'm back with Emmy Hilbish. Emmy, this is the part of the show I call Eight Straight. I'm going to ask you eight straight questions. Your job as my guest is to answer those in as much detail as you want. Okay. The first one is one that is just for you. It's mm-hmm. not one. I, I've asked it of one other guest, but what's the biggest accessibility challenge you have that people might not understand? 
Okay, I kind of have two answers to this one. So broad overarching thing would be people's attitudes. We learn in disability studies um, that there is a social model of disability and there's a medical model of disability. All right. And uh, the social model says that we're not disabled by necessarily our environment. We're disabled by people's attitudes and that, you know, somebody didn't think to put a ramp here because they didn't think about people with disabilities or somebody won't hire me because they think that I can't do the job, you know, things like that. And, you know, not just obvious things like that, but even like you see me at the store and it pops in your mind, like I'm different because I'm disabled, right? but I'm not, you know, so that's kind of the broad theme of the biggest disability challenge. Um, that I think most people face is just people's attitudes. Because that's not something that really is in your control. Yes. You can't change somebody's attitude exactly. towards you. Exactly. So then a very obvious one would be accessible bathrooms. Okay. That is a huge thing for people with disabilities. You know, even when you're at a restaurant, like the thing about it is a lot of people with disabilities need bathrooms more than regular people. Um, that is just such a frustrating thing that I know for a lot of people when, you know, an accessible stall is taken up because I think people don't think about the fact that they can use any of the stalls, but I'm limited to the one. So that, that's just something that bothers me. And obviously there's like invisible disabilities that, you know, you don't always know if the person using the stall needs it or not, but Broad PSA, don't use the accessible toilet unless you need it, please. It's because from any reason that you've got to get your wheelchair in Mm -hmm. there, you've got to have space for your wheelchair in there. Um, Sometimes there are bars and other things that that allow you to uh, maneuver yourself. Yes. It's it's not just that, you know, you need a certain width of door. Yeah, no, it's, it's a lot. And, you know, a lot of disability, like you said, the bars, some people can't stand up if they're already sitting without Mm -hmm. the bars, but... Yeah, that that is the thing that annoys me the most on a daily basis. <laughs> can you can you stand? I mean, are I can you able stand to stand with support? Can you know, you? I use crutches to get my car, but get my chair in and out of my car. Okay, that's one of the things I wondered. You know, since you are full time in a wheelchair, how much use like you give your legs um, just to kind of keep muscle tone? I mean, is, is that something that you work on in terms of therapy? I I should. <laughs> I'm going to start walking more on a treadmill. I, at my internship, I was able to make my own pair of braces. Okay. So I'm going to start using those when I go to the gym, you know, because me walking on a treadmill for 20 minutes is like a full workout. Right. Because I don't ever walk. Is that important to you to either to maintain the skill or the muscle memory or, or all those to things To me, it's to important... Because if I don't, it leads to more complications for okay. me. You know, I don't, I'm not trying to walk on a daily basis to get around at all. But if my legs stay stronger, you know, um, if you don't use your bones, if you don't put weight on your bones, then they become brittle. Right. And I want to prevent, you know, bones breaking in the future and things like that. Okay. What's your favorite Amarillo neighborhood? I would have to say it's kind of a toss up between Wolfland and um, Bishop Hills okay, because of the Christmas lights. All right. <laughs> um, I just love, we always go look at Christmas lights um, every every year. That's like, I, I don't think I've ever not gone and looked at the Christmas lights on Christmas Eve. So that's like a huge part of my childhood is driving around those neighborhoods and looking at those lights. Okay. And those are 
two distinct destinations for people. Yes. I mean, you can you can drive to Bishop Hills, and that was always a thing when I was a kid, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but I hear more and more of people that come specifically to Wolfland just yes. to look at those. Yeah, they're very nice. I love them. What's your favorite restaurant in Amarillo? I wouldn't say I have a favorite. I have some go-tos that I'm just always in the mood for, and those would be Roses and Sharkies. Okay. I love... I miss Sharky so much when I wasn't here. Yeah. And there's some roses down there, but not any, like an hour drive away from me, probably. So how much of a role does accessibility play in, in you liking a restaurant or not? Um, I mean, is that, is that something that I goes into the equation? Absolutely. So I get like anxiety if I go to a, like, if I know it's a smaller restaurant, you know, if it's like a, a chain restaurant, I'm not worried about it. Okay. But if it's like a smaller restaurant and I'm trying to go and I've never been to it before, I'm like, uh, I don't know. Like, I'll still do it, but it, it's definitely a point of anxiety. Yeah, there's there's some extra stress involved mm-hmm. in making that decision. Definitely. What does this area have too much of? Country Western bars. Okay. <laughs> I just think that's not my vibe. That's I just don't like country music like that. And, I mean, obviously, it's Amarillo. There's going to be a ton. But there's so many. They, they need to branch out some more. That's, okay. That's my thought. <laughs> are you looking for um, bars or clubs or something that just have a different a different vibe? Yes. All right. And, I mean, there's a few. But it seems like the vast majority are country western bars. All right. What does this area not have enough of? Something that I see, and I just look constantly because I am in a wheelchair, Accessible sidewalks. All right. So I live in San Jacinto. So that's, it's within walking distance to a lot of things, you know, and walking this distance for me would be like, you know, I don't want to go more than 30 minutes to get somewhere. Okay. But if I want to go up Georgia to go get Sharkies, there's no way I'll be in the street. There's not any sidewalks for a large section of Georgia and Western and Bell and most major streets in Amarillo. And that's, a safety concern. Right. I mean, there's people that don't have cars that use wheelchairs and they can't get around. And also, you know, what if I get a flat tire? What if my car breaks down? I'm not going to be able to get anywhere without having to go on the road to get to the destination. Right. It's just not safe. So what, even if you're in a neighborhood, I was, I was thinking of this as I watched you pull up to my house, you know, most of the houses in my neighborhood have, driveways in the back. Mm-hmm. So I happen to live toward the end of the block. But if I was in the middle of the block, you might still have to park there and then wheel yourself down, Yes, you know, quarter mile or exactly. something, you know, yeah, to get yeah, to the, yeah. where the block ends and, mm-hmm. there's, and there's a ramp. Yeah. And that's also a thing, you know, even if there is a sidewalk, a lot of them are very old and there's not a curb cut. It's just a curb. Right. And for me, I'm able to navigate going down curbs. A lot of people in wheelchairs aren't but I can't get up a curb. Right. So like I said, it's really just a safety concern and it's something that I think the city desperately needs to address. Okay. It's happening with all new construction, but there's yes. so much there's so older much construction old that has not yet been retrofitted to, yes. to work. Exactly. When was the last time you visited Paladura Canyon? I was actually in Paladura Canyon last week. Okay. I've been about five or six times since I've been here. We ride our bikes down there and I went to go see Texas as well. Okay. I love Paladura Canyon. <laughs> and so do, do you have a special um, mountain bike bike or um, do you just like swap out wheels? Well, we're just on, we just go on the road. Okay. So it's just the regular. So you don't get out on any of the trails? No. Or I would love to get a mountain bike to do that, but that is like buying a car. Okay. <laughs> Those are very expensive bikes. 
Well, talk to Joe Chris. Yes. <laughs> What's what do you think is the most underrated aspect of living in Amarillo? Um, kind of like what I said before. I kind of just feel like people are a little bit nicer here. It's not so hectic. It's not so stressful. You know, when I was in living in Arlington, it's like you're just you can drive and drive and drive. You're still in the city. Yeah. You know, you're still hectic all hours of the day. There's bad traffic. I like that you can just drive for 10 minutes and you're suddenly in the middle of nowhere, you know, with the sky and it's huge sky. That's also something like you don't realize like the sky here is huge. It's everywhere. You know, there's no tall buildings to block the view. That's what I I really like that. Well, and you grew up in the River Road area, which is part of Amarillo, Mm -hmm. but still sort of a blend of the city environment and the rural environment. Mm -hmm. So you're even, you know, more... Yes. Out of the city, I guess. Definitely, yeah. Definitely where I grew up is kind of cut off from the rest of Amarillo. You know, it's at least a 20-minute drive to get in town. Okay. And last question, what's your favorite season in Amarillo? Um, I tentatively say this, but winter. Okay. It snows here. I haven't seen snow in four years. Um, I haven't been in the cold in four years. I mean, it gets cold there, but it's like 40 degrees there. And I really like the cold. I'm sure I'm going to regret saying that in like a couple months right. <laughs> when it's awful and windy and horrible all the time, but I really like the winter. Okay. That's the end of my eight straight questions. Uh, Emmy, I like to end by asking my guest to endorse something. So what's something that you would like listeners to know about or to experience related to this area? I would say the biggest thing would be try to learn about one share at a time. You know, we advertise quite a lot when we have events coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, if you hear about that, we we do have our tournament, our wheelchair basketball tournament. I believe it's in May, I think. Okay. So if you hear about that and you're able to come out, come out and see what that's all about. You know, just you don't you don't have to donate any money. You don't have to do anything, but just kind of try and expose yourself to something like that. Also, you might see, if you have kids that do track meets, you might see some of our athletes at track meets this year. Um, We have quite a few this year, and they're allowed to compete with UIL to do that. Um, But kind of overall, I would say, you know, when you see somebody that's disabled or you see somebody in a wheelchair, try to shift your mind to thinking about how they experience the world and not necessarily how awful it might be, you know, because... My life is not awful. My life is awesome. I've been given so many opportunities because I've been disabled. And just, I would say people should just kind of look at that and analyze the way that they think towards people with disabilities. Okay. Amy Hilbush, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. It was awesome. And that concludes the show. First, I want to say thanks to Emmy for being on the show. You can learn more about One Chair at a Time at onechairatatime.org or by looking up the organization on Facebook, Instagram, wherever. Uh, you can also read about Emmy uh, on those pages. Thanks also to Dr. Eddie Sauer and SKP for sponsoring the show. This episode of Hamarillo, hey like the past 40 episodes or so, uh, was edited by Angelina Marie. And of course, I want to say thanks to my executive producers, Daniel Davis, Corey Burns, Jennifer Callahan, Chris Selda, Josh Wood, Patrick Burns, Ryan Pennington, Wes Reeves, Wilson Lemieux, Jason Burr, Katie Linger, and Neil Nossiman. They all support the show through patreon.com slash and you can do it too. Thank you so much for listening. This has been episode 114. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week. <laughs>